hospital, of which I knew nothing, nothing about behavioral health and addiction, other than the stigma that we all carry forward until we become educated. In my mind, if you're an alcoholic, we'll stop drinking. This is a disease by choice. Oh, you're a drug addict? Well, don't do drugs anymore. There, you're fixed. And if you're choosing to do that, that's your own self-harm. It's your own problem. And that's really how I saw it. And, and sad enough to say, there, there's very little crossover between the mental health side of providers. Like, I know both sides of the house now, and they don't know what each other does. That's just fact. You're listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast where experts share experiences and the latest thinking on mental health and psychology. Here's your host, Gabe Howard. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Gabe Howard, and calling in today, we have Dr. Derek Price. Dr. Price is the CEO of Sierra Tucson, a residential treatment center located in Arizona. But before that, he played in the NFL for the Detroit Lions. Dr. Price, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you, Gabe. I appreciate you having me on here. Dr. Price, given how our society feels about sports and, and in particular football, I, I, I want to ask, what led to you leaving the NFL? And also, because I'm a sports fan, did you win a Super Bowl? <laughs> so the, the, the short answer to that is not by choice and no. So um, I left the NFL with a career-ending spine injury. Um, I went in and was playing and everything was going well. And I was getting on the field as a rookie and, and life was really looking good. And um, ran down the field and hit somebody on a kickoff, turned my neck sideways and broke some bones in my neck and tore some discs and nerves up and whatnot. Um, I was able to play through the next handful of games because I didn't tell anybody. And that's kind of the stigma that we're, we'll talk about later for sure, is to don't be hurt and don't tell people when you're broken. And so I play four games with a broken neck and then uh, go home in the off season, sign another contract and come back. In my mind, I'm going to play again. And the doctors looked at me and they said, what the heck happened to you here? <laughs> because all the muscles had atrophied, the nerves were crushed. And, and uh, that's when they knew there was a problem, sent me out, did surgery and came back with bolts and plates and screws in my neck. And the coach said, hey, I, <laughs> I love you, but you're never going to play this game again. Um, and that's kind of what led me out of the NFL. And as far as winning a Super Bowl, no, no Super Bowls here. Um, would have loved to see in the playoffs, but when I was with the Lions, we didn't make the playoffs either. So, um, Oh, you like answered extra. I, I appreciate yeah. the honesty there, right? You See, I didn't ask if you made the... You, everybody listening could have been like, well, at least he got to play in a playoff game. So I, Yeah. <laughs> you said Detroit Lions, so they're going to know the answer to that one. That That's good points. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be able to pass that one past them, get him past them. There's so much in, in your story that, that I'm sincerely want to know about. But the, the biggest one is you, you, you said you hid a broken neck. It, how did you hide it? Did, aren't there team doctors everywhere that are supposed to look out for you and keep you safe? I, I just can't imagine a broken neck is one of those things that they missed on an x-ray or during a physical. <laughs> well, um, let me put a little context around it. So, so first of all, we have to remember that this is like 96, 97. So we'll run it back, you know, quite a few years. Technology is a little bit different. Contracts are different, more, more of a mercenary mentality, meaning um, if the season is 16 weeks long, you get paid one sixteenth of your paycheck, your contract for each week of the regular season. Um, so if you got cut week eight, then you got or half of your total paycheck or half of whatever. So it's very mercenary. If you're not on the field, like you can't make the club in the tub mentality. If you're not out on the field, um, you're not going to be on the train. And the very real truth behind it is a guy at my talent level 
is replaceable by a thousand other people that just didn't have the right opportunity. Now you take like the Barry Sanders of the world and the, the all pros, they're just different. They're God touched and it's a different caliber, but 90% of the NFL, there's thousands of college football players that could have filled those spots, but just not in the right place at the right time. And admittedly, I was one of those guys. I was a lucky to be their guy in my opinion. And when I got hurt, made the decision, like if I go and tell the doctors I'm hurt, if I tell the trainers I'm hurt, if I make anything out of this, um, I'll be on the next home and somebody will be in my spot and my life dream goes away. So I'm just going to suck it up as we've been taught from peewee football on, rub some dirt on it, don't say anything about it, and get in there and keep playing and just deal with the pain and um, pretend it's not really happening. I don't think there's anyone listening that would think to themselves, just give up the money and protect your health. And that's that's what's sort of sad. That's why I framed the question this way. As I was listening to you talk, I was like, well, that's a lot of money. I'd lie for that. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you could have been paralyzed. You, you could have been injured. You could have been killed. You could have been, I, yeah. when you say it that way, or when you think about it that way, it's like, wow, you were willing to trade safety for money. And this is your physical health, but I want to frame it against mental health. People are willing to risk their mental health for zero money almost every day. And, and by zero money, I mean, not NFL money. How does this all fit together in your mind? Because you have the unique position of seeing the stigma of having physical health problems and the stigma of having mental health problems up close and personal. Yeah. And and thanks for teeing it up like that, Gabe. And I, I think that the overlay here is if I can overlay my experience of pro sports and the NFL side and then move to a more macro and look at societal, the stigma I'm going to draw some parallels. So let's start at the sports level on the individualistic side. Um, yes, I had a problem. I knew I had a problem. I didn't tell anybody I had a problem because I didn't want anybody to know that I had a weakness because even the other players on my team that were in the same position were trying to take my job away from me so that they could be on the field. So any weakness, any, like, any dent or chink in the armor is going to be exploited at that level by not your opponents on the other teams, but by your own team and then by the administrative staff whose job it is to win football games and keep healthy horses out there. So I didn't want to be put out to pasture. So I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my roommates. I didn't tell anybody. Now let's overlay that into society. And you're talking about people with mental health issues. Well, as soon as you put your hand up and say, I have an issue, you can be viewed as weak or crazy or psychotic or you're just you're just reduced from being the whole person to a stereotype or a label and it's really because the illness of mental health is invisible and if you break a bone i can take a picture of you you know gabe and i can say hey listen your bone is broken right here do you see it yes i see it yes i'm gonna put a cast on you the whole world knows that that cast is set for a bone that we can all see is broken and you're going to get sympathy and empathy for having broken your arm and the pain that you must endure It's very obvious and very visible and very objective. Oh, you have anxiety and depression? Well, I can't take that out and put it on a table and show it to somebody. I can't take a a quantifiable objective picture of it. That's an assessment of a human being's reactions and answers and how they respond to the world around them and how they perceive it. And that's invisible. And the problem is because it's not objectified and we can't see it, we don't know what it is. If you don't have depression, it's very hard for you as a, as a regular lay person to understand what it is. Because, you know, when they're, when they're having a bad day, oh, find something to make you happy and you can do that. But when 
you're talking about like a physiological chemical reduction to the state of a clinically diagnosable depression, you don't just get to say, oh, I'm just going to be, be happy today. It's like uh, walking up to somebody that's in a, in a pond of cold water and saying, just be warm. They're like, well, I'd love to be warm, but I am, I'm having a hard time getting there. Right? Like if you've never broke your arm or tasted chocolate ice cream or smelled a rose, how do you explain what that feels like or smells like or tastes like to somebody else? The same thing is it's virtually impossible to truly relay that to somebody who doesn't have that disease because their perception of what depression is or their perception of anxiety is thousands of times lighter than what you're experiencing. And thus, people hide it. But they hide it because they don't want to be labeled. Let's go back to football. Let's say that you're an all-pro football player and you've won all these Super Bowls and you've been on posters and Wheaties boxes and your pictures. You're up on the walls. And every time you went to work, if you think about it, 100,000 people get on their feet and clap for you as you enter your work office, uh, which I found when you're done with the NFL, nobody gets up and claps for you when you walk in the room. It's, <laughs> it's a different thing. <laughs> but if that's the world that you live in, you raise your hand and say, oh, I, I'm an alcoholic. Well, unfortunately, that's how the world and the news and the media and the fan base is going to. Now, all of the good just got reduced to a label. You're an alcoholic. doesn't matter how many Super Bowls you won. Those guys don't want to come out. They don't want to let you know that they're weak. They built their brand on being tough. In the event that they say that they have a problem, they can be reduced and all of their good can go away. And then when you go to the societal side, nobody wants to have a stereotype or a label put on them. They, they want to be the whole person. They want, to be, they want to be Bob, your neighbor, not Bob, the crazy guy. They want to be Sally, your friend, or the person you see at church or the CrossFit gym or at work. They don't want to be the alcoholic. And that's what we need to get switched around is for the world to accept the fact that there is a stigma. We all live in it. And heck, I'll tell you what, I'll give you, I will prove it to you right now. If you're driving down the street in your car, and you look over on the, on, at a crosswalk, you're at a stop sign, you look over the crosswalk, and there is a kid, shaved head, in a gown with a walker, looks weak and, and sick to you, probably has like cancers, bald head, and he's having a hard time crossing the road. Just doesn't have the strength to, to really do it. I would say 99.9% .9 of the people listening to this are going to say, oh, I would absolutely pull over and help him across the road. He's suffering from an illness. I have empathy, I have compassion, I have humanistic characteristics to, to help my fellow man. I'm going to help this person. Okay, let me change nothing but the illness. Now you're looking at a homeless person. You're looking at somebody with a psychosis. You're looking at anxiety and depression. You're looking at PTSD. You're looking at alcoholism. You're looking at drug addicts. You're looking at a homeless person. You pulling over your car and helping them across the road? The answer is absolutely not. The answer is I'm going to look the other way. I'm going to pretend I don't see this. I'm going to walk around it. I'm going to give it a wide berth. I don't want to get engaged with it. And I'm going to dismiss it and move, move on. Well, because that's subconsciously how we're all programmed currently, when you yourself suffer from one of these mental illnesses, you yourself know the stigma that lives within you of how you placed it on other people before you were diagnosed yourself. And you do not want to come forward with that. I, I'm, still, I'm still super drawn to the NFL. I can't help it. I'm still, I'm still super <laughs> drawn to all these athletes who are there. They're, they're on top of the world and then they fall. And there's, there's a voyeuristic aspect to it, right? We as a society love to watch people fall. It It's sick and it's sad, but it's nevertheless true. But I'm also thinking, you know, we've, 
we've seen a lot of people from the NFL fall. Where are the safeguards? Why is nobody protecting these people? Is anybody sitting down all the athletes and saying, look, all right, you're, you're going to be a player today and maybe you'll be a player for a year. Maybe you'll be a player for 10 years, but eventually you will not be a player anymore. And here is how we are going to safeguard your mental health. Is this being done? Are there any safeguards in place? Big question. So I'm going to take it in chunks. Um, first and foremost is if you've had teenagers, if you've had the 19 to 23 year old human beings in your life, uh, most of the time they're not ready to hear a message. Um, remember to play this game called the NFL and to run around with the most violent athletic and explosive specimens on planet earth, you have to create a aura around you of invincibility or else you simply couldn't get on the field. Right. You, you, you simply cannot un, until you've been around the guys that play this game at the highest level. You don't know what real athleticism and strength and violence and power feels like. You might assume it, but you just don't know. So imagine like if you're going to step on that field, you have to have self-talk in your head that you are infallible. You're invincible and nothing can permeate you. And even hearing the discussion of hey, when you're done, you might have mental health issues. Well, first of all, when you said when you're done, I already cut you off because I'm going to play this game forever, right? That's, that's what you go. That's when you're playing. That's what you think until you're 10, 15 years in. Um, nothing's ever going to stop me. No injury is going to come my way. I'm going to work my butt off. Nobody will ever cut me. So I'll, at the beginning of your sentence, I already stopped listening. At the end of your sentence, when mental health issues, hey, listen, I'm a 19, 20-year-old multimillionaire driving a Ferrari, dating a Kardashian, um, yeah, maybe that's down the road. Next, next topic, please. Not even, not concerned with it. I'm 23 years old, flying private jets. So they're just, it's not, it's not the right time right now. You say that to like a 50 year old person. They're like, Oh, whoa, time out. Yeah. Slow down. Let me, get, let me, let me make sure I have everything lined up in my insurances and where I go and my resources and my plans. And but when you're at that age, you still hear it. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com. Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media. He does the show with me. Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist. That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorder. Listen now on your favorite podcast player or visit psychcentral.com slash IBP to learn more. Subscribe now so you don't miss out. And we're back with the CEO of Sierra Tucson and former NFL player, Dr. Derek Price. Now, I do think the NFL does a pretty good job of educating. I do think the NFL does a pretty good job of allocating resource. Um, I get emails from NFL Alumni Association and from the NFL Players Association 
constantly saying, hey, if you have mental health or diabetes or overweight or uh, prostate checkups, uh, et cetera, and there's a lot of resource, but how many people follow up on it? I, I don't know. And I don't think it's very much. Um, we also have come to learn that, you know, concussions, TBIs, closed head injuries that we experience in football, that we experience, you know, in, in war around explosions, that we experience in the ring when we get hit in the head, boxers and MMA fighters, soccer players, that those concussions can also lead to mental health issues because you're damaging the brain. So different areas of the brain get damaged and different areas of the brain don't work as well. And thus psychosis, anxiety, depression, and mental health, you know, can come forward. And that's kind of a, that can be a slow process. And that's, I think if you watch the movie, um, I believe Will Smith, it was called concussion, um, kind of lays that out where you have a Super Bowl ring, a guy won multiple Super Bowls living out of the back of his car, you know, eating glue, like, and he knows he's going crazy, but he can't stop it. It's um, it's rough. I do think that the the sports leagues are you you see commercials every now and then. I think the NFL used a tagline last year during the Super Bowl called "Kick the Stigma" or "Tackle the Stigma." Um, but do people really know what that means? Do they dive in on it? Yeah, not as much. I know what it means. You know what it means. People listening to this probably know what that means, but most other people are just gonna in one ear out the other one. I do think they do. They do well. I think they could do better. Um, what I wish they did was provide, you know, insurance if you play this game after you leave the game, so you can go get the help. They can point you to the help, but not paying for the help. To be honest, you're a commodity. When you when you're able to play, they pay you. When you're not, you're kind of done. Um, and that's sad because there's plenty of money to cover that, but still capitalism. They're not doing it. As we've been talking, I I I see so many parallels to to the U.S. military or law enforcement or first responders, uh, maybe not so much with the, 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 you know, this is capitalism and there's money, although I would argue we have a, a fascinatingly huge military budget and you would think we could set some aside for our soldiers. And I, I know this is the most <laughs> awkward transition in the world to go from NFL to soldiers, law enforcement and first responders. But, but here's why I asked something that you said was uh, you've got a, you know, an 18, 19 year old and you're just like, ah, that's never going to end. You got an 18, 19 year old and you're like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this now. And, and I'm invincible. If you think that you're invincible when you're playing a sport, you must really think you're invincible if you join the military or if you're law enforcement, or if you're literally a soldier, I mean, they, they must really build them up that that transition has to be even more difficult. And of course they don't have millions of dollars or fame or, or people chanting their names or it, at least a team name they've been associated with. What happens to them? Is there again, full disclosure, most awkward transition in the history of podcasting. No, but if we can't help NFL players, can can we help soldiers at all? Yes. So we actually here at Sierra Tucson, so we, we run a program specific for, we call it the red, white, and blue. And it's a first responder and uh, military program. So police, LEO, fire, paramedic. And to your point, it has to be a groundswell from within. Like when you're the Alpha Soldier, when you're the Navy SEAL, the Army Ranger, when you're Delta, CAG, and Green Beret, and there's like a folklore and a, a mystique about you, and you're out there doing your job, and then you rotate back, um, what people forget is the PTSD isn't just what you saw on deployment. 
more often than not, when we drill down, we'll find that the trauma, abuse, or issues that happened to that person is what caused them to join the military. And that when they were in the military, they were distracted and they didn't mind going downrange and they didn't mind pulling triggers against bad guys. But when they got out, they were disconnected from what I told you earlier was that locker room mentality, their tribe of brothers, their purpose, their mission, their reason evaporates. And they try and transition to become stocking shelves at Home Depot, you know, working at the car, like whatever the job is, trying to find a regular job. But they, they've lost their reason. They lost their purpose. They lost their tribe. They lost their mission. They sustained some injuries. They saw some stuff. And now what happened in their previous life prior to military is still compartmentalized, but it's bubbling up because there's not enough pressure to keep it down. And so we label it, you know, oftentimes as PTSD. Oh, they were over oh, war must be PTSD. But when you really drill down on it, a lot of these guys will find the recovery when they go back into their childhood and they see what happened to them then. And so what we do is when we bring them in is, is we, we reconnect them and we, we want to teach them how to take care of themselves and how to fix their issues. And, you know, if you are fire and police um, or military, we have programs for you where you can be around your brothers and come to that tribe again, because that's what you miss. Right. And we take for granted the PTSD that policemen see because we think of PTSD like, oh, they had to shoot a bad guy. Well, think about the firemen. They're not shooting bad guys, but they're pulling bodies out of windshields and out from under cars and out of lakes and out of burning fires and the screams that go along with it. My daughter is the youngest female firefighter ever in the state of Arizona. Very proud of that. So my daughter is a full-blown firefighter. And uh, the stories that she tells me is why I have her seeing a therapist um, I kind of view it like it's like brushing your teeth, right? You don't wake up in the morning and say, hey, my teeth hurt. I'll brush them today. You say, hey, I'm going to brush my teeth so they don't hurt. And so as such, I encourage all people that live in that LEO fire paramedic, do some mental health hygiene. Like talk to a counselor once a quarter, once a month, once a week, once a year. But at least do it a little bit, right? Like don't wait for the bad to happen. Don't swallow it all down. As we continue with the most awkward pivot in the history of podcasting, I, I want to ask, do, do you feel that your NFL experience and transition is equivalent to veterans transition experience as, as, as it pertains to mental health? Absolutely. Absolutely. Unequivocally, absolutely. Yes. And I, and I've had the, um, the, the great fortune of being around quite a number of, uh, of these guys and seals and doing different events for the last 15 years, um, at a, at a high frequency pace. And our conversations are, they miss being on that train. They miss being with that group of guys. They miss their inclusion into the fraternity when they were in the program. And if you talk to pro athletes, it's the same thing. We all miss the field. We miss the games. We miss the crowd to some degree, but what you really miss is that group of guys that you bled with in the summer, that you sweated with, that you went to war with, that you, you shield to shield, arm to arm, those guys. And that's the same on the, on the athlete side as it is the military. And when it comes to an end, um, everybody on that team still loves you, but you're not getting the phone call to hang out anymore. You're not going on the missions. You're not playing the games. You're not going to the Saturday practices. 
and you find yourself in a bit of like an isolation and going, Hey, what happened? Like my whole life I was celebrated. I was with these groups from the age five years old. If you're an athlete to now you're 25 and you just, you got cut, you're not playing the game anymore. And that train with all those players is still, is still going, but it's, it's gaining distance. It's going away from you. And you find yourself kind of alone there. And that brings on the depression and the isolation and the drinking and the bad choices and all the things that, that you've alluded to earlier. And the same exact thing happens on the military side. And the same exact thing happens in the fire station. Like my daughter knows all of the people that she's on her fire group with. She knows their husbands and wives and their children, their pets names, like, and someday she'll retire from that. And infrequently in life, do you have that tight of bonds with that larger community? And if you've never had it, like you may not understand it, but if you've ever been in a group that was really tight knit and gave you energy and you fed into it and it fed you and it fed your purpose and it was all, everything was aligned. That sucks to give that up. It hurts to give that up. It's painful. And you see that, you see that in the military. And you know, a concern that I have is 2001 was a little more than 20 years ago. And a lot of these guys are spending 20 years in the military. They're, they're retiring now. They're getting out. They did their 20. And are we set up at this point in time on a mental health framework here in the country to take care of all these vets that are retiring, that did their 20 and they're out after 2001 event? The answer is, I don't know. I don't know. But I know that we're doing our best over here. Dr. Price, where can folks learn more about you and about Sierra Tucson? Um, The best way is sierratucson.com. We are a specialty hospital within the Acadia Healthcare System. Acadia Healthcare being the single largest behavioral health group in the country. Very proud of that. Uh, with an amazing staff that I totally believe in their in their mission and the corporate structure. So sierratucson.com is where you'll find our resources. Um, if you want to follow me personally, I'm open book, as you can probably tell from this interview. Follow me personally. If you have questions, DM me personally. Derek C. Price is my Instagram. Um, ping me there. Email me, call Sierra Tucson, give me on the phone. Um, you know, I give my number out to everybody and people say, you're going to get a thousand calls. I get few calls, but the calls matter and I love to take them. So that's how you find me. That's awesome. Thank you once again for doing this. Of course. Thank you. Oh, you are very welcome, Dr. Price. And I want to give a big thank you to all of our listeners. My name is Gabe Howard, and I'm an award-winning public speaker, and I could be available for your next event. I'm also the author of Mental Illness as an Asshole and Other Observations, which is on Amazon, but you can grab a signed copy with free show swag or learn more about me over at GabeHoward.com. Wherever you downloaded this episode, please follow or subscribe to the show. It is 100% free. And hey, can you do me a favor? Tell folks about the show. Put it on social media. Send an email. Hell, send somebody a text because sharing the show is how we grow. I will see everybody next Thursday on Inside Mental Health. You've been listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast from Healthline Media. Have a topic or guest suggestion? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. 
One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.